So I want to talk, I'll, I'll, I want to bring her story back into what we're looking at today. But I want to t- today I want to talk about uh, finding your purpose in life and, and connecting it with God's mission. Uh, a couple of years ago on cable TV, uh, they had a, a little segment of, of some show about a, a, a very successful uh, financial investor, a guy who worked in the financial uh, industry in Wall Street, and he was telling his story about uh, where he worked and, and uh, his life, you know, in this whole world, and if you know anything about Wall Street, it's a very unique place. And, but he, he told his story that as much as he was very good, he was very successful, uh, very respected, uh, influential guy in his field, he just felt like there's, this is not a good fit for me. And, you know, you may, I was listening to this man say, wow, you know, you've been doing this for 20 years, and all of a sudden you think it's not a good fit, you're very successful at it. You made a lot of money. You're well respected. That seems like a good fit, but he was his heart was not at rest. And all through this this little uh, vignette, he didn't t- speak at all about his faith. So I don't know, you know, whether he had any kind of faith in God. But he got to a certain point. And he said, "You know what? I'm going to start thinking about what really could be my passion. What what." If I have, maybe I have a greater purpose than this job I have, this particular kind of job. And as he pondered, he began to realize what he really wanted to do was to bake bread. That he had this passion for baking bread. And so after some thought, he's a very careful person. After some thought, he just, and, and he, he and his wife wrestled with this and, uh, he decided he was going to open a bakery. Now, he, lives, he lived in Manhattan, and he looked at uh, the market. He wrote a business plan, and he took all his nest egg and invested it in this business. And he went from, you know, uh, 70th floor Wall Street office to this little storefront in Manhattan where he made artisan bread and he eventually became the baker for all these restaurants around Manhattan. And he was just as happy as you could imagine a person could be. And what he said was at the end of the story was that he just realized that he needed to find his real purpose in life. And that despite everyone looking at him as having had a very successful life, and, and he had, he just wasn't at peace that that was really the best fit for him. And I want to take you into a story where Jesus talks about his purpose, and then he talked about how that related to his followers, and I think it, 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 it relates to every one of us who are in this room today. We, a few weeks back, we were looking at John chapter 4, and if you would turn in the Gospel of John to chapter 4 with me, uh, you can use the Bibles under the chair seats in front of you. They're loners if you don't have a Bible with you. In uh, John chapter 4, where we're going to read from, uh, starting at verse 27, is on page 739 in these paperback Bibles. So let's read there, and then we'll pray. Starting at verse 27, it says, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. 
But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't, uh, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages, and even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So Jesus in this passage is, uh, there's, a, there's a little backstory to it we'll get to in a second, but uh, Jesus is on a trip. He's tired. Uh, he rests, to stops to rest at a well. He's, gonna, he's looking for a drink of water. He's hungry. And, he, and his disciples go into a local town nearby to get some food. And while they're on this journey to get the food and bring it back, Jesus strikes up a conversation with a woman who comes in the middle of the day, which is very unusual, and to get water, and to draw some water and to take it back home. Well, he asked her just as a courtesy, would you give me some water? And so this whole conversation with her ensues. And in the midst of this conversation, uh, this woman's life has just radically changed. And this, where we started reading is just at the end of the conversation where she begins to put her faith in Jesus. And then as, as, as we read, she goes back to town and starts telling all her, her fellow townspeople about Jesus, what she knows about him. And, and, and admittedly, she knows very little, but she has some real encounter with him that's changed her life, that's, that's moved her to go back to her town and tell this story. And if we kept reading, we would find that all the people from the town are so moved by her story that they come out to investigate for themselves. And then, as they are impacted by Jesus and, and what and his answers to their questions, they invite him to come and stay in their town. And so there's this cascade of transformed lives that happen. In fact, at the end of it, one of the most amazing things that happened was that the context of the story is, is the woman's a Samaritan, and so she's ethnically different than Jewish people, and the Jews and the Samaritans have always had tension. It, it, they, had some, they had history. And so they didn't even talk to each other. And that's part of what got the woman's attention, that Jesus talked to her. And these Samaritans were so impacted by Jesus that he, they invited him to their town. And who knows the last time a Jew went to that town? And all of Jesus' disciples, this was a moment of real profound racial reconciliation. This just didn't happen ordinarily. Birds of a feather flock together. Birds who are of different feathers don't flock together, right? That's a profound thought. You can put that on your refrigerator. But when birds meet Jesus, they gather differently. 
And that's what happened in this scene. So there's this transformation after transformation. But it started with one unlikely person. So when Jesus' disciples see him talking to her, they're like, number one, she's this woman. She's a Samaritan woman. Why is he talking to her? But they, they felt awkward. They didn't, they didn't know what to say. So they, oh, well, you know, we're kind of curious about that, but none of us is going to ask because we feel awkward. So they sort of push the food in Jesus' face and say, Rabbi, eat. Because he'd been hungry. He'd been tired. He'd been thirsty. He was sitting by the well. He was worn out. And something had happened in his conversation with them, and he said, I have food to eat you don't know of. And they go, of course, misunderstanding him. He was speaking metaphorically. They go, did, did somebody feed him? You know, did somebody bring him, you know, a happy meal or something? No. He goes, my food, quote unquote, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Which he was, re- his, that what he was referencing was this redemptive work of helping this woman whose life was a mess find the answers to what was messing up her life in him. And he turns around and says to his followers, this is what I'm calling you to, in in essence. That's summarizing what he says. But what he says, it's really interesting. He says, listen, and this is the thing we can see the parallel about purpose in life. The man who was the Wall Street analyst, financial analyst, and then became a baker, what he found out was when your purpose in life, most people sort of intuitively grasp this, your purpose in life has something to do with the way God made you. Your purpose in life also is meant, when you engage in that purpose, to help other people flourish. And your purpose in life is meant to to give you some sense of fulfillment and joy. And that's one of the things that were the clues that this Wall Street analyst recognized was missing. He said, this really isn't fulfilling. It's rewarding financially, but it's not fulfilling me personally. Now, there isn't a job in the world that, fu- that, that perfectly matches your gifts and abilities and will totally fulfill you. You know, don't go on a quest to find that job. It doesn't exist. Because you live in a fallen world, it will never give you what you're going to look for. That's what Jesus told the first two people who ever lived. Because of sin, he told Adam, you're going to work now by the sweat of your brow. In other words, what should have been easy and and fulfilling and and fruitful and rewarding is now going to be difficult. And didn't everybody experience that? Right? Does, does your job just work smoothly? It's like a well-oiled machine, and you just every day you just can't wait to get there and to talk to everybody that works there with you, and you just can't wait to pick up the phone and talk to those customers and you know deal with people, right? No. It, that's just not the way it works. But there are days where you work. If you're in that sweet spot and you're, and you're to a reasonable degree doing what you're designed for, and it's helping other people, you sit there and go, this isn't so bad. I could, I could do this the rest of my life. But, but there's a downside to it. Well, the disciples are listening to Jesus, and he is telling them something about his purpose. And he says, my purpose 
is to do my food. In other words, what fulfills me is to do the Father's will and finish his work. And he was referencing directly to him engaging this woman about what was missing in her life. She didn't have a relationship with God. And at the very heart of who we are, we are as human beings, at the heart of that is supposed to be God. He's supposed to be at the center. And, and I know many of us are, are, are troubled by, like for example, you, you might go to uh, a circus sideshow and see an animal being mistreated. You know, you see it caged in, in an inhumane way and you think, that's just horrible. And I'm not arguing that it's not. But people walk around you day in and day out, far from God, and that doesn't bother you. And it should. Because at the root of every kind of brokenness in our lives is that. Because when people are disconnected from God, they are cut flowers. And at the heart of Jesus' mission was to reveal the way back to God through faith in Him. And He talked to this, this woman who was a social outcast amongst the Samaritans who were, as an ethnic group, were a minority and were an outcast and a Jewish majority all around them. And they felt it, and she felt it. But she also had a pretty messed up life. But here's what Jesus did. is He saw her, and he saw her value, and he saw that what she needed was what he offered. And then he engaged her around that. And he said, that's my purpose. And then he turned around and said to the disciples, that's also at the heart of your purpose. Now, he, when he first called Peter and Andrew and James and John, they, they worked as fishermen. And he came to them and he said, you fishermen, if you follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of people. And he wasn't in any way dismissing their vocation as fishers, fishermen. But he was saying, to that vocation, I'm going to attach and, and blend together this calling to be fishers of people too. So whatever your calling and vocation is, you have a dual vocation that's, the first one's creational, and the second one's redemptive. And everybody has it. And Jesus said, I know this is what God's made me for, and this is what he's made you for. And he says, and I know that when I engage in this, it's beneficial to people. It helps them flourish. And he said it's rewarding. And at the, at later on in the passage, he said, he talked about how engaging in this purpose of reaching out and helping people figure out who God is and the role he's supposed to play in their lives. He says that that can even bring profound joy. And he compared it to what it's like when there's a harvest time. Harvest time in those agricultural communities was just a time of celebration and party because the whole year you worked for that time. And it meant life. It meant the community was going to succeed. It meant thriving. and I mean, it just had so many good connotations. And what he's saying is, this work that we're doing in engaging people who are far from God and helping them to understand that, that what they're missing in their life is a relationship with God, as challenging as that can be, like you can see it in Jesus' conversation with this woman, he just said, that is what gives life, just like the harvest does. 
And there's all kinds of parallels that, you know, are obvious there. But here's the challenge. And I, 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 this isn't, a, a, I think, a deep message I'm offering you today. Your, your purpose in life, your purpose, every one of you sitting here listening to me, and every person who might hear this on a podcast, every single one of us that are followers of Jesus, he has called you to be fishers of men. He's called you to engage people who are far from God and help them to begin to try to sort out who God is, the role Jesus plays in faith, and, and all those questions. And this isn't a message about how to do that so much as that I want you to feel the weight of this, that this is part of your calling. And if you're walking around in your life and you're wondering, why am I not challenged? Why am I not, why do I feel like things are not working the way they are? I can guarantee you part of it is you're not engaged in this part of your purpose in life. No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, everybody feels the same way about this whole thing. Everybody feels inadequate. Everybody feels distracted. Everybody feels like their life, I've got too many other things going on. People don't want to talk about this. This story in John 4 is an absolute direct word to all those concerns. Because one of the things that you find out about this, when Jesus said, to, after he talked to this woman, who was at first resistant, and as he engaged her lovingly and respectfully, there was this moment of pivot where her heart opened up, and Jesus said, I'm the Messiah, and she realized that God was drawing her to himself through Jesus because she knew that Messiah was God in the flesh. It's whatever mixed up notion she had about God from her, her faith, which all faiths are inadequate, she realized God's speaking to me, that God wants me. She was an unwanted person. And all the people around us that, that seem so indifferent to faith, what they don't realize and what most of us don't realize many times in our life, like in that song we sang, our desires are ultimately for God himself. Every desire you have in your life that, that gnaws at you is ultimately fulfilled by God himself. And part of the mistake that we make in our lives is we chase these desires to their conclusion, which is usually something, because we think if I get that thing, and it might be a good thing, I will be satisfied. This, this gnawing hunger inside me, and it isn't. And so we think, well, I just don't have enough of that. And so we, we, we try more of it, whatever it is, and we find out there's this law of diminishing returns. You have to put more energy into it, and you get less out of it. In the beginning, a lot of times, it's like if you've ever, I'm sure there's only like one or two people here that have ever taken illicit drugs. But, you know, the first time you take it, you take a hit of some drug, it's like, oh my gosh, it alters your world. And over time, if you've ever used drugs, you build up a tolerance to it, and you don't get as much out of it. And this is not the best illustration, but our desires for things will take us somewhere. And what this woman, what Jesus did with her, she came there thirsty. And Jesus engaged her around that thirst, and then he focused it on himself, and he said, I have what you need. I, I will give you something that you won't have to keep refilling. I will give you something that will become inside you like a spring of water. 
You're chasing things that won't fulfill you. And her life was, was marked with that, and ours are. So he invited her. He said, you can either surrender your life to me, or you can give your life to things that will never satisfy you and that will ultimately just consume you. And she was a walking example of that. And I think she lived that life long enough that she decided, I'm going to try the other option. Well, most people that we talk to, they have so many misconceptions about faith and who Jesus is. It it really takes a time of engagement, sometimes over days, weeks, months, years, to help them to recognize who Jesus is and what he offers them and and, and to get in touch with the needs that they have. But it takes a real person who loves and respects and cares about them. And that's the challenge that we have is most of us don't see those people around us. Like Donna said, every week, or excuse me, every month uh, in the summer, in the warm months, twice a month, we work alongside Muslims at our food pantry. And everybody has certain kinds of conceptions about who they are, what they're like. And uh, Donna had them, and we all have them. But until you become personally acquainted with someone, you don't really get them at all. Well, Jesus... When he asked for water from that person, he stepped into her world. And she was surprised that he stepped into her world. And that's the, the challenge for us is we don't want to step into the, the, the people's world around us who are far from God. We want to sort of avoid it as much as we can unless we can't avoid it anymore. And then we only want to get in as deep as we have to. And then we want to get as, back out as quickly as we can. Well, when, when Jesus engaged this woman, he didn't do that. He just stepped in there, and he, in a very measured way, was just looking for her response, just like you see him interacting with other people, that he steps up and sort of engages and then waits for the response, and if it's positive, he takes another step. And it's, it's very healthy and normal, just like all of us do and when, we're, when we're building relationships. At any point, it could have stopped because Jesus respected her. Well, We have to be willing to do that with people. But to do that, you have to begin to have a heart for those people. There's a a story in uh, Matthew 9, and we'll close with this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. There's that language again. But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Now, I want to bring these two threads together. You're never going to find your purpose in life unless you're a worker in the harvest. As well as whatever vocation you're involved in. You're not. You won't. I was talking to a young guy this week, uh, goes to our church, he's a, a college student, and we were talking about this, and he said to me, he said, because uh, I, was, I was challenging him about this, I was saying, dude, you need to realize that, that God put you where you are, around the people you're around, because he wants to, them to see what he's like through you. However imperfectly that might occur, that's your part of your calling and your purpose. God put you there. It's not an accident that you're in these classes and that you're in this dorm and 
and you're doing this and this and this. God's shepherding you as a person. Well, what Jesus did here, and, and Jesus' view of people and ours is different in this sense. He saw crowds of people, and he saw their problems, and it says he had compassion on them because he saw that they were like sheep who didn't have a shepherd. Now, we can look at people and their problems, and we can recognize that we are, that we are the author of our own misery, all of us. And people get into messes largely because of their, 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 of their own making. And we can then just dismiss them and say, well, you got into that mess, get out of it. Jesus saw, like a sharp person does, people and their problems and their culpability for those problems. But he also had compassion on them because he said, ultimately, they wouldn't be in the plight they're in if they had a shepherd. Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And in flocks, when, when sheep get knocked over on their backs, they will die. Because sheep do not have the ability to get back on their feet by themselves. It's, it's a fact of shepherding. And so if a shepherd isn't there to get them back on their feet, whether they were knocked off their feet by their own foolishness or another sheep bumped them, which is common, and knocked them over on their back, they're going to lay there and they will painfully die if they aren't consumed by a predator unless the shepherd sees them. And they'll cry out, sheep, I have a friend who used to herd sheep, and he said, when sheep fall on their back, they make the most painful cry you can ever imagine. Jesus saw that woman as a sheep without a shepherd. Everybody else just saw her as this woman with a history. You know, she's messed her life up, and I don't really have time for her. And she had adjusted her life around that, so she went out to get water late in the day because everybody had sent her all the signals that you've made your bed, lie in it, proverbially. But Jesus saw her differently. And he said here to his disciples, pray for the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers for the harvest. So I want to ask you today to, I want to close right now and just ask you to do something, just a little experiment. We need to do two things consistently if we're going to find our purpose in, in, in engaging people uh, about their faith. Is we need God to put his heart in us and turn our heart towards them. And then we need to be praying that God would turn their hearts towards Christ. That simple. We need to pray, God, turn my heart towards these people who are sheep without a shepherd. And then turn their hearts towards you, their shepherd. It's that simple. You, you pray that on a consistent basis. And all of a sudden, you're going to look at the people around you. And you're going to more frequently look at them and not just see the mess that they've made. You're going to see a person who's a sheep without a shepherd. And you're going to begin to care about them. Because they matter to God. Jesus was caring for that woman because he said, this is my father's will. She doesn't know that her father in heaven loves her deeply and has a plan for her life and wants to give her an abundant life. She's lost hope at that. She's, she comes out to this well, like I said before, and this well is a symbol of, the, of the, the frustration of her life. She comes back over and over. Nothing fulfills her. She has to carry the water down the, down the hill again and blah, blah, blah. Jesus came and sat by the well, and he 
revealed himself to her. And he wants to do the same thing through us. So we need to pray, God, open my heart up because I have something. You've done something in my life. And I'm, I might not know exactly how to communicate that very well, but I want to get into that. But you've got to start with having a heart for people. Just like Donna said when uh, that, that uh, Egyptian guy taught at our church a couple of months back, and he just said, listen, best thing to do is just begin to pray every day. God, connect me to a Muslim, a Muslim that you want me to become friends with. And Donna did it. Others have done it. And, it, and that's what God will answer that prayer. So I want you to just, I'm going to invite you 